Welcome to the Pactum. I'm Pat Abendroth, and today we are going to do book roulette with no compromise radio. I wonder what that's going to be. Well, I'm not only Pat Abendroth, ready to do library. I can't even say it. Library roulette with no compromise radio. I'm joined together in the studio with Mike Grimes. Hey, Mike, how's it going? Well, I'm just wondering if I what? am, am going to have to do a new guitar intro because <laughs> I've been practicing this guitar thing for a long, long time. And, As a trained musician, Mike Grimes. Right. You and, sound and, like Mike Abendroth. And I know kind of, Pat, you like this edgy kind of style, so that's why I did what I did with the guitar for, for the opening for oh, the Oh, good. Copying Rolling Stones, Exile on Main Street. Inspired. Oh. That's where that came from, as a matter of fact. Well, I am with Mike Abendroth, not Mike Grimes. But I like Mike Grimes a lot. You do. Right. And every time I, it's Pat and Mike, you think of yourself. Because I'm narcissistic. <laughs> <laughs> it is great to have Mike Abendroth on the program today. He's my older, older brother. He's the first guest we've ever had, and now he's the first guest we've had twice. No, maybe not twice. Chris Peterson's maybe been on twice. But that doesn't count. He's staff. He's in-house. He, he has to do it. He does. I do it because you send me the royalty check. It's true. Mike Venmo Ab- at Mike. <laughs> Mike Abendroth is the pastor of Bethlehem Bible Church. He's also the host of No Compromise Radio. He's also an author. He's a dad. He's my brother. He's a citizen. He's... Are, do you get the senior, senior discount yet? Uh, at some places, like the other day I didn't, uh, for the train station in New York at Grand Central, you have to be 65. But oh. other places, maybe movies and stuff. <laughs> so he, he's I, not a senior citizen as far as New York is concerned. Right. Well, I just, I showed him the card and instead of the AARP, it said NRA and the guy said no. <laughs> Speaking of New York, we were just together in New York City, Manhattan. What were we doing? Andy Woodard is the pastor there at Providence Baptist Church, Reformed Baptist Church. And he had a conference, and you were speaking. I was speaking. John Benziger and other men were there. And then we had two nights and walked around and saw uh, rats the size of cats and cats the size of dogs. All at the same time in the same place. <laughs> and roaches. That were big enough that I guess if you were hungry, it was like the size of a protein bar. It was pretty intense, and we were in Manhattan in the nice part of town. Right. And we got to see St. Patrick's Cathedral. I said to Pat, listen, we're going to go in here, and they've got these little alcoves behind the main sanctuary area. And and St. Joseph is there, and St. Mother Teresa is there, and St. So-and-so is there. You can have a prayer for the face of Jesus if you want, but the big enclave. But you were with St. Patrick. I, I actually was. <laughs> Just so you know. But Mary, she got the biggest enclave. She, The queen of heaven was mm, definitely, yeah. I know. She's not a co-meteatrix. No, no, no. But she she just gets the good stuff. She got the good stuff. It was fascinating. You could put you your could, credit card in 50 yeah. bucks. I think there was and a $10 out. option and a 25 and a 50. Right. But I would have done it if I could have gotten a receipt to show Peter at the pearly gates. <laughs> But there are no receipts. You just had to make the donation. I was just waiting for a bunch of people to come up behind me, and then I was going to go up and pretend like I did it, so then they would think well of me. Oh, they think I was really That generous. would be good. <laughs> oh, boy. What else did we do? We went to Times Square. We did. Right? Madison, yeah, we did. It was fun. Uh-huh. A lot of action. A lot of things going on. And the next day on the news, like a special daily update briefing on how terrible the crime is in Manhattan. So we we got out, we got out of there alive. I renewed my life insurance policy from my hotel room because it had expired, and I thought, you know, I probably should do this. 
Nice. Well, I thought you did a great job at your message there that day, and then we did a little Q&A afterward, and I enjoyed our time there. It was great. So how many episodes have you done for No Compromise? Do you even know? It's hard, Pat, because I think it's either 13 or 14 years. It's daily radio. Summers, a lot of times, though, were reruns. And I didn't do reruns at the very beginning, but now every Friday is a rerun, sometimes to my chagrin because they play a 10-year-old rerun and I and I had some weird theology or something. I was gospel. It's a little Lord, different. I was lordship or something, yes. Uh-huh. Uh, but I, I want to say th- new episodes, original episodes without reruns, 3,200. That's a lot of episodes. <laughs> That's a lot. Uh-huh. And, you know, and we actually have some folks that have listened to every single one. Like Kofi, he told me he listened to every one. Very cool. And I thought, wow. And I think it's like the Pactum. Uh, the Lord has taught us much over time, and we're no longer 30 years old, and we have things we'd like our congregations to know. And if anybody outside the congregation would know, that'd be a blessing. And then we just talk about it. And then I don't have to, and you don't have to jam our ideas about theonomy into a sermon, right? We just do a whole thing critiquing theonomy. It's a good outlet and a good teaching tool so we don't have to squeeze it into this sermon that's supposed to be about something else. Right, right. And I think I've probably done that before. I've been so bugged, maybe with some righteous indignation about a topic, and then it finds its way into the sermon. And then now I don't have to do that. It no-co's my outlet. Perfect. I learned that from you. Yep. Uh, my, Good reason to do my, it. I, sometimes people ask my wife, do you listen to NoCo? And she said, of course not. I live with NoCo. Ah, I always thought that was She's like, Mrs. NoCo. Mrs. No Compromise. Does Molly listen to the Pactum? She, not every episode, but she does listen. Okay. She, she, she likes the funny stuff, too. Sometimes she says, I can't believe you said that, but it was funny. So, Well, I've had you on No Compromise Radio lately, and you've talked about certain things and said words that I've never said on there in 3,500 episodes, so they'll have to listen. To I, to I just out. want to enlighten all, all of the masses, all of the people, as I Mike Grimes would say, because I know you have several listeners. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love Omaha Bible Church, and I think about the elders there and deacons and, <clears throat> excuse me, even some ladies that are still around that have ministered to our mother, Carla, when she was sick. And I met somebody a while ago. You probably know who it is. I've forgotten. My memory is so awful. Uh, but I think maybe they named their child Carla. It's true. Yeah. Yep, the Schmolls did. Yeah. Absolutely. So it's good. And when you're in Boston area, people love you because, you know, they, they, they love me in spite of me. And they, they love me in Omaha because they love you in spite of you. And it's just kind of, it's good to cross-pollinate. It's a lot of fun. So today we are going to do library roulette. And it probably, it sounds worse than it is. Does that require a gun permit? It, it's, well, I know that we both have them. So... There is that. So what I'm going to do is I just walked around Mike's library. Oh, we're actually in Massachusetts. We are in this. Massachusetts recording this. Pat, you are a you you are worldwide. Just trying you, to get you around. You record in Omaha. You record in San Diego. You record in all these places, and now you're here in West Boylston, Massachusetts, recording. I it, mean, it's hard to be famous sometimes. The posse that you bring, indeed, it's, it's amazing. It's like H. B. Charles walking around the Shepherd's Conference. There's like <laughs> ten people following the guy. So I have a stack of books that I pulled from Mike's library. Mike is a book guy, so and Christians like books. They like sound doctrine. And so they like to hear other people talk about books. Mike's been a book guy ever since he's been a Christian. I know that. And it's helped me to read good books and all that sort of thing. So I walked around his library and I pulled seven books from the shelves. And uh, he doesn't know which books I pulled. And I, what I want to do is he, he gets one pass. Maybe that's the roulette side of things. So there, there is one explosive one. And you can pull it if you want to and say, no, nah, I don't want to talk about that. But, Mike, what I want to do is... Uh, 
pass the book over to you and have you talk. Give us the title. Tell us some interesting things about the book. Maybe it could be where you bought it, how the book found you, as people say. It could be what you, why you don't like this book, why it's a problem. Maybe there's a better book on the topic that you'd recommend. You're a good storyteller. Uh, you are a writer and a reader. So this is like story time with, with mm. Pastor Mike, no compromise. We need, need a little fake fire uh, over there. Oh, that's right. Uh-huh. That would be nice. Okay. So first book is going to be this book. It is the Reformed Doctrine of Predestination by Lorraine Bettner. Was she a kind theologian, do you think? Well, you know, with Esther and Ruth, most of the people that write commentaries on those books, they're, they're women, you know, Joyce Baldwin and everything. And when it comes to predestination, most people that write on predestination are female. And, and I understand the connection. I get it. <laughs> Lorraine is actually, it's a man with a woman's name, we say sometimes. So talk, talk about that book. Well, I... Like men uh, who have more more fem- feminine names, it's not always the case. But you just think, okay, Lorraine, you've got to be tough. It's true. A boy named boy Sue, named you've Sue. got to be tough. The Anglican Ashley Knoll, you've got to be tough. He's he's tough, yeah. right? He's yeah. well, he's kind. But I picked up this book. Uh, I've had a couple different copies. I opened it up, and I always keep the. Uh, price on the books, right? Sometimes I've loaned books to people, which I rarely do, and they take off the price tag. I don't want it taken off. I want to know how much I paid for it. Yep. So I paid for this book, uh, $12, The Reformed Doctrine of Predestination, hardback, Erdman's. And one of the things I love about Bettner is when I opened the book, I can even do that now, he wants this truth to be widely disseminated. There's a picture of John Calvin there with his little beanie thing, <laughs> skull cap deal. And then the first thing that I noted in the book, I know I only make notes in pencil, never pens, never yellow markers, none of that. Copyright 1932. And here's what it says, Lorraine Bettner about the doctrine of unconditional election. Anyone is at liberty to make use material from this book with or without credit. In preparing this book, the writer has received help from many sources some acknowledged and many unacknowledged. He believes the material herein set forth to be a true statement of Scripture's teaching, and his desire is to further not restrict its use. And that's why I love it, because here's this great doctrine that he didn't come up with, and you can see it in God choosing Israel, God choosing priests, God choosing Levites, God choosing uh, the, the 12 apostles. God is just a God who chooses, and he chooses people uh, as well. Uh, nobody deserves it. And he goes through this whole thing, and he goes, I want everybody to know. So quote me, don't quote me, you can have it. So how many stars would you give the book, one out of five? Well, let me just tell you a little story since you said something about stories. I required this in one of my discipleship classes in this very room. And my son was 15 at the time. And so I said, Luke, I want you to be in the discipleship class. And so he read it as well. Fast forward about seven years. He said, Dad, I need to reread the Reformed Doctrine of Predestination by Lorraine Bettner because the first time I read it, I wasn't a Christian. (laughs) There you (laughs) Uh (laughs) go. And so I haven't read it for a long time. But what I like about Bettner is it was easy to read. It was simple, but he didn't pull punches. It just, it is what it is. And and it taught me to receive revelation from God, whether I like it or whether I don't. Here's God teaching this truth. And it was for me to not be over scripture. I don't like this. I want to change it. I feel uncomfortable. That's the wrong way to go. But I need to be under scripture and say to myself, Mike, 
you ought to be very humble because you're not only finite in your creature, but you're sinful. And so if God says something in the Bible, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, Ephesians 1, I better submit to it. That's what this book taught me. So how many stars? Out of how many? Five. I'll give it five. I would too. I think think it's a great book. I think maybe his uh, Bible Doctrines book, maybe those were originally written articles for something like Christianity Today. And it reads that way. So like a magazine article. Studies in, the ato- uh, studies in Theology. Yeah, that's that what it's called. That uh-huh. one. I like the end too. I just have one post-it in this book. Practical importance of the doctrine. And I just thought, you know what? That's good. I'm just going to look down and read something that I, that I underlined. When a person sees himself as one of the Lord's chosen and knows that every one of his acts has an eternal significance, he realizes more clearly how serious life is and he is fired with a new determination to make his life count for great things. I like it. Lorraine Bettner. Yep, I would recommend that book for sure. His book on Roman Catholicism isn't so hot. Some How about the post-mill book? Yeah, that, one, that one's not so hot either. So I think it's good that he critiques Roman Catholicism, but his argumentation uh, is a little bit straw man-ish. And so wouldn't recommend that one on the Pactum. Book number two, unless you choose to eject it, uh, is... Religious Affections by Jonathan Edwards. And, and we're in Edwards' uh, backyard here, right? I think about 70 miles away from here, you and I have been there, is Northampton, Massachusetts. It's interesting to go there and you see where his uh, Edwards' home used to be. And I think there's a Polish Roman Catholic church there. I think maybe the steps are still original. <clears throat> Two steps to the church yeah. is in, in the town. My feet have been anointed. Uh-huh. There you go. And, of course, we used to be big Jonathan Edwards homeboys. Of course, he's written some things that are good and right, and uh, that's true. But I probably should have been tipped off to the fact that I think he used to just go to his study 12 hours a day and then, you know, then hang out with the kids after that kind of thing. And I think, ah, that's not the good way to do it. I, I think I want you to engage with the kids more often. Uh, we went to the tomb in Princeton, right? Yep. We saw where Edwards was buried. And I used to like Edwards a lot, and then I thought, huh, one of the reasons I don't like him is this book that I'm holding, Religious Affections. And it's not marked up because I haven't read this copy. Uh, there's a CD that you can get that you can listen to it. So what's the scoop? Well, the scoop is, I, I think I know why. Here's how I came not to like Jonathan Edwards, because he was John Piper's homeboy. Ooh. So what happened I had was, a Piper book in the stack, but I, I set it aside because okay. you yeah. don't need to do that. And, and so, okay, lots of people learn Calvinism from John Piper, et cetera. I get all that stuff. But just on the critique side, okay, if we're going to say saving faith is knowledge, assent, and trust, I'm all in, right? I just say K-A-T, the only cat I like, knowledge, assent, <laughs> and trust. You know something, you agree, and you trust, right? There's, there's, this, there's this aspect of... of Okay, it's not just intellectual, it's not just emotional, but a real trust. And once you start adding love into that and affections, into the definition, and I'm all for affections and love when you're a Christian, in the category of sanctification and holy living, there's an aspect of love. I mean, of course. But how much would I have to love God in order to be saved? 
Now, could I have a weak faith, a sinful faith in a great object, the Lord Jesus? That's enough for saving faith. As long as there's knowledge of set and trust, you know about the death, burial, resurrection. You say that's true. I believe it really happened in history. I'm a historian, and I think that happened, and I'm trusting my eternal life with that. But then once I add love in, which Piper does, once you add affections in, once you add treasuring God in— How much is enough? The real question is how much. Yeah. And, of course, both you and I teach that the ground of your salvation, if you stand before God— What would you stand on before God on Judgment Day at that bar of justice? Well, it better be perfection. That's why when we quote Westminster Shorter, perfect, entire, exact, perpetual obedience, or you do the three Ps, perfect, personal, perpetual obedience. That's the ground of salvation. That's why Jesus had to live for us, die for our sins when we didn't do that, and was raised from the dead. There are then fruits and evidences. So don't jam the fruits and evidences of desire and treasure and love and admiration into the ground. And therefore, that's what made me back go backward and think, okay, where did Piper get this? I mean, you and, you know, I, I didn't come up with anything new. I, I'm a reservoir of things. Same with Piper. Where did he get it? And he got it from Edwards with all these affections, and Edwards is trying to chronicle what goes on with a person, what are his affections, and I think just sometimes, while I'd say, yes, I now love what I used to hate and hate what I used to love, and God has given me a new heart and new affections, and Second Corinthians chapter 5, and a new creature in Christ Jesus, I'm all for that. But they're category mistakes. Correct. Right? Right. So that's what I, that's what I was taught by studying Piper, and then I went backward to see Edwards and think, I'm not smart enough to believe if he's truly a panentheist. I don't know about that, but some people call him that. I do know he, he – he, I'd rather pick somebody else. Okay. If you've got one theologian to pick, I'd pick John Owen and not Edwards. And so just for listeners, just so you're aware, Edwards, he's not coloring within the lines of reformed orthodoxy when it comes to these matters. So he's the outlier. He's the deviant. Um, he's the creative one. So classic, traditional, reformed theology, mainstream, classic covenantalism, whatever you want to call it, uh, Edwards is not that. So um, he, he's, he's deviating. Doesn't mean he didn't do some good things, say some good things. Doesn't mean he didn't have a great mind. But we're going to give that one star, and I know my brother would because he's my brother. Mm-hmm. So I'm just one, going to one star for sure. And <clears throat> yes, he did say some things that were good, but I, I just think you could do good, better, best in life. And so that leads me to the next book. Oh, okay. Which this would is, be this is uh, one of related. my favorite all time books. So it, I, I did see Mike touch it yesterday, so it gave me a clue we could talk about it. Mm-hmm. So this next book is the Doctrine of Justification by James Buchanan. Who turned you on to this book? I don't know. Maybe you did. I'm not sure. Maybe Luke did. Uh, Maybe I just thought to myself, uh, well, I'll give you a different illustration. Uh, Go ahead. Did you remember who? Yeah. So I I was turned on to the book by Phil Johnson uh, back when Andy Snyder was a professor at Master Seminary, and he was denying the imputation of Christ's righteousness, act of obedience, and therefore undermining the doctrine of justification. And so when I talked to Phil Johnson about it, said, what's the best book to counter in in solid justification? Uh, Way back when, when he's the one I would ask, he said, oh, Buchanan on justification. And so that's the first time I was introduced to it. Okay, good. Well, I can't remember who introduced me, but 
when I got out of seminary, I thought, all right, they can't teach you everything. I'm lacking in certain things. What am I lacking in? And I thought, I'm lacking in biblical theology, not theology of the Bible, but this redemptive historical view of, of the history of the Spirit of God working in the church, et cetera, et cetera. And so I began to read books on biblical theology, one after another after another, to get the big picture, the redemptive historical, because I knew I was lacking. I also thought, you know, I don't think I understood justification as well as I thought I did. I need to get a bunch of books on justification and read them. And matter of fact, years ago when one of the admins of Master Seminary pulled me in to the office and said, can we ask you some questions and what do you think the Master Seminary has done well? What would you suggest that we do uh, differently? And on the critique side, I said, every student at Master Seminary, in light of Andy Snyder and other things, right. since John MacArthur thinks that the gospel includes the imputation of Christ's righteousness, that every student needs to take a two-hour class on justification. And they need to read Buchanan, they need to read Calvin, they need to read the two-volume set of Horton on justification. Mm-hmm. I don't know who, who just published that. And I think I gave one other book on justification. I can't remember which one. And, and maybe it was Owen, Volume 5. And that was my suggestion. And Buchanan, uh, it's, he's just clear and he's, all, he, he's well-rounded. I think of shalom. When you think of justification, think shalom, well-rounded, all sides covered. What about this implication leads to that implication? If I deny this, what happens down the line? I like that. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, when we're studying, we're thinking, hmm, wait a second. I don't think the New Covenant started... Uh, oh, there, where this, uh, oh, but I don't know, I don't know the domino effect. Okay. And I think James Buchanan will help. This is Banner of Truth, and of course, Banner of Truth is just such a great publisher. Uh, you know, I only have really one exception with that. Richard Baxter. <laughs> and who, I, who denies this very doctrine we're talking about. I, I know. And I kept the cover on here, the paper cover on this nice cloth-bound book, because it says the doctrine of justification, James Buchanan, the book cover itself is blue, kind of a nice blue. But this cover, the paper cover, is orange. And when you look at all the books in my study here at church, you can easily find this book. Orange book, good. Uh-huh. And I call him, <laughs> James Buchanan, the orange man. Okay. Because we love ourselves some orange men. So is there a book that you would recommend about justification over this one, or is this the ultimate when it comes to volumes? I've not finished the Horton, so I don't know. Maybe that could be the usurper. The two volumes. Uh, the two volumes, yeah. yes. But for right now, I'd either give them Calvin that you could read in the Institutes, or I think Nate Pickowitz just republished just Calvin on justification. Oh, good. And you could pick that up and just read Calvin on the doctrine of uh, Justification. Good. You know, the, you know the one I like better than this one, not because it's essentially better, but I like J.V. Fesco's book because he takes into account more modern controversies. Okay, so, so Pat, think, thank you for bringing that up because that was the other book I recommended to the Master Seminary admin guy, J.V. Fesco, Justification. Because he's going to deal with N.T. Wright and right. things like New that, people who weren't around during Buchanan's day. Mm-hmm. So I think one stands on the shoulders of the other. And Fesco. I think actually quotes Snyder and talks about oh, maybe some he? dispensationalist in the footnotes about w- why would they not think obedience of Christ is important. Okay. What I think, you, what, I think you're thinking of covenant justification in pastoral ministry. I think it's in there too. Okay. That's one of my all time favorite books. That book changed my life. Yeah. Uh-huh. Who, who wrote that? Scott Benzinger or something? 
<laughs> just kidding. <laughs> no, that's a good one too. Yeah. So the Act of Obedience chapter by our friend Scott Clark is outstanding and uh, so good. super helpful. Worth the $800 price tag or whatever it's going for on Amazon these days. Mm-hmm. No, you can get it on Kindle cheap. I have been taught, especially with that Ian, uh, excuse me, that John Murray book on the imputation of Adam's sin. Yep. Is it federal? Is it seminal? Is it this? Is it that? Pelagian? All that other kind of stuff. And of course, we realize we don't, you know, become sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. But one of the things that Buchanan helped me with, and so did the Murray book, and I just opened it up and read this quote, the direct imputation of the guilt of Adam's first sin to his descendants is not necessarily exclusive of their personal guilt as individuals. And he goes on and talks about representation and everything else. And that first sin was credited to everyone's account. And you think of Romans chapter 5, and that helped me. And then I always say, we got credit for Adam's sin, and consequently, we're sinners by nature. So that's what Buchanan helped me to just, it's just part of my, it rolls off my tongue now. We get credit for the first sin by God's sovereign decree, federal representation, and consequently, we are born sinners. But we're just talking about kind of immediate imputation versus immediate yep. in Murray. Awesome. How many stars? Five for sure. No brainer. Five for sure. All right. So you're not going to be able to give us the number of stars for this next book uh, because... Well, in one way, I can because I, don't, I, I, I know who wrote it That's and who right. didn't write it. But you're going to sound prideful and arrogant if you give it five stars. So the next book I have here is called Gospel, a 31-day... Well, I can't read it underneath it because it says not for resale. Oh, so I have a pre-pub edition here in my hands. Packed and people like that. They do. Special insight, special Gnostic knowledge. So it says Gospel Assurance, a 31 guide to assurance, but I couldn't see the word assurance under gospel because it says not for resale, not for resale, not for resale. (laughs) So this is compiled by Mike Avendroth. It's not out yet, even though they have it listed on Amazon, I've heard. They do. I know. So talk to us about this book. I know it's obviously your book, but what's it about? Why are you doing it? When can people get it? Okay. Well, I probably could promote it because it's got 31 days uh, that will help people understand assurance better written by other people. So I could say you could give it five uh stars, uh but I wrote the 6,000 word intro. So that part's copyright. It's tainted. Uh, Pat, you, uh, along with... I, I and you, I, you and I. We together. <laughs> we together. Masters monarchs. We little men. <laughs> a wee little man was he. As we've been maturing theologically, one thing leads to another. And if you get law gospel right and you start thinking about sanctification and you think third use of the law, God's not hammering me anymore with the law. He's guiding me with the law. Oh, what does that do to the doctrine of assurance? Oh, yes, subjective only, bad, morbid inspection, bad. Oh, look to Christ Jesus first, and then Second Peter you know, 1, 5, yes, then subjectively look, etc. I thought the doctrine of assurance, Rome stole that. And the Reformation recovered the bondage of the will, it recovered sola fide, it recovered other things, and recovered assurance of salvation. Absolutely. I love to talk about assurance. I think I'm going to do a few part series for American Gospel this fall. Lots of the conference speaking that I do is on assurance. Because you can have assurance at the beginning of your Christian experience. It's not for later after you've done enough good works. That might give you a different kind of assurance, but we have assurance at the very, very, very beginning because how how can we do that? 
Well, it's interesting because just as long as you treasure God to the ultimate and love God more than anything else, you get Don't insurance. listen to him, Pactum listeners. <laughs> he's just he's just toying with <laughs> you. Remember when John Piper said that on Twitter? If you don't desire God above everything else, you, you're not a Christian. I'm like, I kind of wanted to go on that bike ride today. You know, I was thinking bikes were more important today than the Lord, I, to my shame. But it's crazyville. Well, uh, <laughs> I also know that we've just been seeing Mary's enclave at St. Patrick's Cathedral Indeed. in New York. And she she had assurance, Rome said. Paul did, 2 Corinthians 12, but we don't get it because it's a sin to have it. So why? Because you're going to go crazy and you're not going to work at all. Mm-hmm. How do you get people to work? Therefore, I thought to myself, I speak under the doctrine of assurance. And everyone asks me the question, Mike, what's the best book on assurance? And I usually tell them, well, Romans. But <laughs> You like the Burkhoff book. Burkhoff is excellent. I like the... What's the name of it? Assurance of Faith, I think. Okay. Uh, That's excellent. And it's free, too, online. There's a Packham episode on that you can find. Okay, right. Do you remember the number? I don't. Okay. And I like Beaky's book, something about assurance or knowing God and assurance, because it talks about both objective assurance, trusting in Christ's work, so there's no condemnation in Christ. We know that early on. It also has got subjective stuff. Oh, look at the fruits and evidences. And if your assurance isn't perfect in life, it's okay because nothing in our life is perfect in terms of, you know, our holy living. So our assurance is not based upon our perfect assurance. Right. Isn't that good? That's a great line. That's a a great line. So full of truth. I wanted then to say, here's some help on assurance. So what I did was I, I got probably 20 some different authors because some chapters are long enough or or articles. I had to split them into two. But I didn't want to only say assurance, 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 read the doctrine, read the doctrine, read the doctrine, because I have stolen Spurgeon's line. If you'd have no assurance and you only study assurance and want assurance, it's like a dove that flies away. You can't catch it. But if you study the Lord Jesus and study his life and remember him, the dove of assurance settles down on your shoulder and just sits there. So in the book, there are chapters and days, a 31-day guide to assurance. It's not really a devotional, but it's a guide only about Jesus. Here's who Jesus is. Here's He's a gentle shepherd. He doesn't cast anyone out. He's not going to lose one. He doesn't condemn anybody because they, they're in Christ, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a mixture of articles by Horatius Bonar, Thomas Bost, uh, Thomas Brooks, uh, different theologians, Thomas Watson, uh, Charles Spurgeon. Did I say Spurgeon? No, no, he didn't. Uh, and between articles about Jesus and learning the doctrine of assurance, Horatius Bonar, 31 days, you just read through it. There's a few quotes about assurance at the end of every day. There's some hymns at the back. I've got the introduction, and I thought, I want to teach on assurance, and they say, I'd like to learn more. Here's a book. I like it. I'll give it five stars because it's <laughs> <Okay>. my brother, <laughs> yeah. and I need a place to sleep tonight. So five stars, Gospel Assurance, a 31-day guide to assurance. So available, you suppose, along about when? Early September. I, I got my draft copy that you see there. I was carrying around in my back pocket in New York, sometimes just trying to read it one of the days. Tempting fate. <laughs> Pickpock- you wanted a pickpocket to take it. I know. <laughs> I had my wallet in my front pocket. I did too. I yep. did too. Did you have an eye for anything on you? Uh, I cannot affirm nor deny that I may or may not have a, a knife. Uh-huh. Mace. A knife. Hot is a handbag in a can of mace in, in New, York. New York. Just got a place in New York. Okay, Bono. 
Next book we have here. How many have we done so far? I, I wonder. I think you have to. You have I to. Survive, you have to eject fear. one of them. Four. Okay. So I'm next eject, one. I'm, I'm going to eject this one. Okay. This is revival and revivalism by Ian H. Murray, published by Banner of Truth. Subtitled: The Making and Marring. Johnny Marring of American <laughs> Evangelicalism, 1750 to 1858. Okay, you can eject it. Yeah, just a quick story. Uh, That's uh, not ejecting. Okay, I know, I know. Uh, somebody, I went to a conference <laughs> once and somebody said, can you come over to our house for dinner? I'm like, I just want to go home. I just want to relax. I don't want to do all this stuff, but I, I know what I'm supposed to do. So I said no to self and I went over there. And Ian Murray was also at the house. There was about five of us. And so I just got to sit next to Ian Murray for a couple, couple hours and talk. And I liked that. Nice. Interesting guy. Okay. Next one. Disciplines of a Godly Man by R. Kent Hughes is the next book for us to talk about. <laughs> Do you think it's a good idea for uh, men to be disciplined and godly? Yes, is the answer to that. It's yes. good to be disciplined. It is very good. You look at all the commands in Scripture. You think about athlete stuff. You think about soldier stuff. You think about farming. Think about how, how much work goes into being an athlete, a farmer, and a soldier. I just told you today God likes pictures. Just not, just not of his son for us. Uh-huh. <laughs> and therefore, you see the Bible full of all kinds of command and work and sweat. There's a, a Greek word, kapiao. It just sounds fun to say. I mean, it is just work until you sweat. You're out there working in the yard, you sweat. That's, that's the spiritual life uh, that we respond to God's grace and, and we want to work, not because we're going to earn our salvation or keep it, but out of the guilt, grace, gratitude okay. paradigm. So you're going to give it five stars? So at Master Seminary, we were required to read this book, along with Reformed Pastor, by the way, and yes. along with other books that were actually good. Uh, but we were required to read this book. I think it was in one of those discipleship classes. What I didn't think you those? ever went to a discipleship lab. <laughs> the ideals. <laughs> you know what? I think one time I went to one of Lance's or something, and then I, I opted out of the rest. Okay. I went to one chapel in my life while I was there. Amazing. And that was for my senior testimony. And then I preached at chapel one time there before they pulled the plug on they, my... I don't think it's posted. No, no. no, no. It's right? not, not posted. Because you criticized Tom I, Schreiner and John Piper for having Roman Catholic-ish uh, views of justification. Well, what happened... That's kind of weird. What happened was uh, I was trying to talk about the gospel and how the gospel uh, is important. And uh, yes, uh, it's all about what the Lord has done. And then once God saves us, you know, we respond and everything. But I was trying to get the ground of salvation and the fruit of salvation. I want to make sure our categories were there. And I just said it's easy to make mistakes. And let me give you a few quotes from good people, you know, godly people. Not, I wasn't calling them – they weren't Christians. Let me give you a quote. And you tell me if it's good news or not. Okay. And so then I got the uh, both Moo and Schreiner commentaries on Romans and something about no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus as long as you do the right thing type of thing. Right. And I said, is that good news? And the answer is no, of course it's not good news. Who said it? Tom Schreiner. And I didn't know he was going to come to winter. Oh, boy. In several weeks. Politically incorrect. And he was going to be then hired to be on the uh, adjunct faculty, which I was at the time of the Master Seminary. And I didn't know it. I honestly didn't know it. And I was just trying to say, here's a quote from Baxter. Is it good news? No. Who said it? Richard Baxter. Here's a quote from Piper in the Saving Faith book yeah. that uh, he endorsed for Schreiner. And I did Schreiner, Moo, and somebody else, Matthew, somebody – 
saved by allegiance alone. And I was just trying to say, just b- make sure you don't make those errors. Right, because they're contrary to justification by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. The doctrine upon which the church stands are false. Right. Never mind that. Right. And actually the doctrine that John MacArthur teaches, right, that True. says active obedience, etc. And I was just trying to do what John would do. Here's the truth. Here's something contrasting that. Avoid the other. But it didn't fit the narrative of the club. No. Oh, anyway. All right. So So back to Masters. I had the book. Then I had discipleship classes here for the last 25 years with men. I've regularly used this book by R. Kent Hughes. And there's some chapters in there, the one on marriage and how the man's got a wife and the wife's face, facial nervous cut, and therefore the husband moves his lips in a certain way to match the, 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 the weird kind of uh, lips that now have been made because of the surgery and mm-hmm. he's so sweet and it's tear jerking and there's some truth in the book certainly but I assigned it about five years ago and we started reading it together and I thought this is this is not good this is spiritual disciplines that are extra right I think of the ordinary means of grace preaching sacraments if you're continental reform okay prayer that's what I think of but this is all, and I think John Moffat does a good job uh, in some Theocast article that he's got on spiritual disciplines. This is kind of Roman Catholic stuff. And we've got the fasting, and we've got the, I don't think he's got journaling in here, but journaling, and we've got the special things, and, and they're all disciplines of, of a godly man. And I'm thinking, this is too much like Rome. This is too much moralistic, uh, just do these things, self-righteous promoting, not from the doctrine of guilt, grace, gratitude. Yeah. So I don't, I don't really. So, so how many stars it. would you give the book? I just give it one star. Okay. One star. Now, having said all of that, I think that Arkent Hughes is a godly man I and uh, I really like him a lot. And interestingly enough, here comes the good part right yeah, here. Here's you, the good you part. get the good news. I have to do the bad <laughs> news. I don't like the book. I wouldn't recommend the book. We used to use it. We used to recommend it, but I do know this about Arkent Hughes. And that is, he told me personally, uh, that later in life, having heard people, I think like Graham Goldsworthy and some who run in that world, I think they're Australians, biblical theology guys. Uh, he had a radical change in his perspective on things. Uh, and I, I believe I'm correct in saying he said it was almost like getting born again, again, because to see that the Bible has these categories and it's more redemptive historical and it's more gospel centered. And so we had a wonderful conversation about it and how it, how it changes everything because now you understand that we do things out of gratitude. We shouldn't assume the gospel because before you know it, we'll deny the gospel and so it made me really happy. And so he's like, where did you learn this? Where did you learn redemptive historical? I know you didn't at your seminary where you went. And, and so we had a wonderful lunch together at Stokes, downtown Omaha. And uh, it's probably sweeter fellowship because of having this in common. It's so wonderful to hear those stories because we've seen the Lord do that in our own lives. Absolutely. And then we see it in others. And that's why when you read, for instance, John Owen, and he's got 16 volumes in that Banner of Truth section. Okay, when did he write that? Right at the end of his life, it was the glory of Christ. Mm-hmm. Early on, it was a display of Arminianism. You know, the younger guys just critiquing, sure, and sure. at the end, it's the beauty of Christ. And of course, I look at my books and think, oh, what did I write in some of those earlier ones? Or what did I preach 10 years ago about 1 Corinthians 11 and teaching eternal functional subordination, which I now repent of and say I'd never yeah, do, and it's, I, yeah. it's wrong. And so I think that happened, happened with Kent Hughes. Yeah. One more funny thing about him is he sent me an email response one time, and it said, instead of saying, hello, Pat, it said, hell, Pat. 
And so, <laughs> typo. And so I said something kind of snarky back to him and, you know, really kind of pushed it. And he said, literally, he was on the floor laughing his head off. He couldn't believe it. And then he said, I will speak for you anytime, anywhere, no honorarium, nothing. I uh, just make sure don't that you never that. don't show that to anyone. So here we are on the pact. I'm talking about it, um, but it was all in good fun. Can I say something else before you show me the last book? Uh, we at our house did take one of the R. Kent Hughes things and, and use it sometimes. Not a whole lot, but he had some disciplines of a godly family type of book, right? Mm -hmm. And then his wife wrote one, Disciplines of a Godly Woman, maybe. Yep. And he had something called Pajama Rides for Children. I know Pajama Rides. We, 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 we did this very thing. Okay. And so you tuck the kids in bed, you know, they're five, eight, ten, something like that. And you go through the Bible reading and your prayers and tuck them in. And little do they know, you and your wife know, that you're going to bolt in in about three minutes and scream pajama ride. They have to get in the car with their pajamas. They put their little slippers on and you go get an ice cream someplace yep. or something fun. See, that's just a good idea that a family did. It's not a, right, man a mandate. Right. And yeah. I loved it when R. Kent Hughes said the kids loved it. And then he had to speak at Moody or some big Bible conference and everything else. And so he went to bed early one night. Now the kids are all 18, 19. They're older. And he has to go to bed early. He has to speak to thousands of people. Five minutes later, the kids burst into the room and say pajama ride. And he went. Fun. I, I like Kent Hughes. I have become friendly. I don't know if we're best friends, but we go on bike rides and stuff together. The singer, Steve Green. Steve Green has sung a lot of songs that I really enjoy. And then he's got the one, may all who come behind us find us faithful. Faithful. And of course, we could riff on that a little bit. And he got up to introduce a song and I wrote this song and such and such. I just want everybody to know, of course, it's our desire to be faithful. But it's really about faith in the Lord Jesus because he's the faithful one. And because of him and because of the spirit that he sent uh, to, to dwell in us, this is what we can strive to be. But, you know, we really want to live our lives so that people will say he was a believer in the Lord Jesus no matter what. Another great example of where somebody changed theologically, I, right? I, I talked to him afterward and I said, I cannot believe that. I love the song, then I hated the song. Now I love it that you talk about the song and he's a marrow man. Yep. And we talked about marrow of theology cool. over and over. I love it. Okay, last book is this book called Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. And uh, I know this book is all the rage or all the hate. Uh, I've not read the book. We have the book in our bookstore because, well, I won't get into that. But I'm just going to say that, uh, boy, people love this book or people despise this book. Uh, how many stars, first of all, would you give it? Well, no, I, uh, there's none of this well stuff. I'm going to give it five, Last, five stars. Okay. All right. Five stars. Yeah. I'm yeah, all in. Five ears. stars. Okay. You know how I like to be precise. Remember, sometimes they'd call some theologians precisionists. Mm -hmm. I want to be precise and I want to make sure I teach the right thing. Uh, I don't like error. And, it, and you can find some error in this book, right? I don't believe God is passable. I believe he's impassable. I don't believe he has emotions. Uh, I don't believe his, if he had emotions, they could change. I mean, all the, there's things like that. You can find some errors in the book. Okay. But it is a refreshing look at the compassion and mercy of a Savior. And how does he deal with a bruised reed? How is he compassionate on a, on a, a candle wick that's is it going to get snuffed out? How does he deal with sinful Christians? And, of course, it's based on Thomas Goodwin's book, uh, The Heart of Christ, or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I just think it's refreshing, sometimes maybe a little too emotional. Some people think, well, you know what? It doesn't give you other attributes of God. 
And that's kind of the critique. And I go, well, the Holiness of God book doesn't either by R.C. Sproul, right? It, it just talks about God's holiness. And I think this is a good reminder for people who sit underneath legal preaching, the tincture of legalism and the tincture of you better obey or else. If you've sat underneath preaching that doesn't understand first use of the law, God's judging you, and you better do what he says or else. One strike and you're out. It's a mirror, the law is. And the difference between third use of the law, this is God's guide for your good and for his glory, and this directs you and norms your norm. And if you if you set on a preaching that doesn't know the two, that doesn't know law gospel, that doesn't know you should be preaching about Christ in every sermon, that doesn't know duplex gratia, Christ for pardon, Christ for power, that is very lordshipy, this is a good book for you to read because you think, oh, you mean God's not mad at me? You mean you mean God loves me? This is the heart of Christ? I mean, here's what I remember the book, not even opening it up. 89 chapters of the Gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, combine them together, 89 chapters. And there's only one verse that talks about the heart of Jesus. Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, for I am gentle and lowly at heart. And it's made me appreciate the Lord's love for me a lot. Good. That's great. I will read the book based upon your five-star recommendation. Awesome. <laughs> now, I did say to myself, Self? After, after the review that was out and a couple negative things that were said, um, I probably should reread it. And I will say this disclaimer. I, I have some theological issues with Dane's theology, uh-huh. Dane Ortland. There's so many Ortlands, like there's so many Abendrons. I can't keep it right? straight. That, that made me think, well, maybe I should read it again with a more discerning eye because if you've got problems elsewhere, maybe you've got problems more here. Right. So I know there's a passability thing in the footnotes or something else, but I thought I, I'm going to reread it, but I think I'm going to be blessed when I do. Okay. Mike, this has been fun. Thank you so much. I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for the Lord's work in your life and your ministry. If you want to get in touch with Mike, you can find him easily. No Compromise Radio is not hard to find. They are on Twitter. You can find their website. You can just do a Google search and you will find him and be able to be in touch with him. Thank you for listening to The Pactum. You can find us in all the socias, all the places. We're on Twitter. We are on Instagram. You can go to our website also. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next time on The Pactum. Mm-hmm.